Welcome to the Millionaire Mindcast, where we broadcast weekly interviews with millionaire minds from across the globe to empower you on your journey of unlocking a rich and fulfilling life. It's time to unleash your millionaire within. Now, here's your host, Matty A. What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's show. I got a great guest for you in Mr. Zach Morrow of Boron Capital. They've got some really cool stuff going on in yeah, we talked about Boron Capital and you know the asset classes and the different types of fund structures and did a lot of educational stuff in those particular vehicles and markets and things that you as an LP investor or even as a GP or as a syndicator, uh, some of the things that you know really separate the, um, I think, professionals from the amateurs and how they're going about doing things, what they're investing in, what their due diligence looks like. But more so, the conversation got really fun and exciting when we shifted over to their crypto fund and some of the things that they're really seeing from an opportunistic perspective. One, today, of course, what's going on in that world, but two, where they see uh, the crypto space going and their investment thesis and how they're really positioning themselves and their investors in this particular crypto fund to really capitalize and ride that wave over the long term. Uh, So we really got to dig in on a lot of the things that he is seeing and their fund is seeing. What do they do in terms of due diligence and how they allocate funds into different, you know, tokens and coins and projects and teams. Um, Also, we talked about the real state of the economy and what are some of the things that we ultimately think are, you know, going to take place over the short term and how you can kind of weather that storm, but also how you can, as an investor, capitalize in these times of, I don't want to say um, chaos, more so these tumultuous or times of turmoil, right? Where we know that there's going to be volatility in the uh, markets. We're seeing it obviously in the stock market right now. And we discuss why also, right? Of course, how do you, um, you know, counteract and uh, go on the offensive in those types of markets to really, you know, capitalize on the upside that we know is out there? There's always opportunity in any market, a good or a bad market, right? It's knowing where that bull market is at and positioning yourself, skating to where that puck is at. And so we really talked about a lot of the different strategies and spaces that Uh, are very interesting right now. And obviously, right, when you're talking with big funds that have big resources, you know, they don't take their due diligence and their research lightly. And, you know, capitalize on some of those strategies is to learn and study and research what the big boys and the big girls are doing. So that way you can extract and pull those strategies and plans and roadmaps into your own wealth building journey and figure out what breadcrumbs you may want to follow on the trail to your wealth building success. So overall, a really cool conversation today with my buddy, Zach, Um, some really great resources for you guys in there. So we will make sure to link up all of that in the show notes at millionairemindcast.com. And without further ado, let's dig into today's episode right after this quick message from today's show sponsors. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer 
and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like build and bigger pipeline with real customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Well, I'm excited to welcome to the show, Zach Morrow. How are we doing, brother? Matt, doing good, buddy. Excited to be here. You know, we've, uh, as always, before the show, we get to rap and talk. And, um, you know, you guys got some really cool stuff going on over at uh, Born Capital. And, you know, many of our high net worth listeners or people that are, you know, syndicators, operators, business owners, um, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges that people often struggle with in terms of scale is always the uh, capital and, and the funding side, right? Um, and that's something that you guys have obviously done really well. And I know we're going to be digging into you know all the different ways that you guys have you know built out Born Capital and how you serve your investors. But why don't you give us a, a quick little you know backdrop on who you are and how you got into this space? Yeah, well. <clears throat> One, I, I'm excited to get into everything. And yeah, I know that capital raising is definitely a challenge. So um, for everybody listening, excited to be able to, to break into that and kind of different areas. But yeah, man, I got started. Um, I'm just a you know regular kid from originally from Southern California, moved around quite a bit. Dad was from Texas, mom's from California, ended up moving out. You know, originally I was down in San Clemente, like a half mile from the beach. And you know, right before junior high, I ended up moving out into the middle of nowhere with uh, about, I think, a couple hundred people in the town I was in and just farmland for, you know, miles in every direction. And so, <laughs> you know, I, at that point, I was going to work with dad. He bought two small businesses, farm store and a propane company. And, you know, little me, he's like, all right, let's go, son. I'd be shoveling uh, back into the the ditches when we're laying laying pipe for the propane company. And, and uh, man, it just never stopped. So, um, continue to work. And we ended up moving into Texas, graduating in Texas from in high school, and then um, ended up joining the Marine Corps. So I was back in California, spent five years in the Marine Corps. And um, out of boot camp, I actually got selected to be on a presidential security force. And um, that was quite an interesting process. But, um, you know, something that being in the Marine Corps obviously teaches you is how to continue working hard, which is something that was learned. Um, discipline, honor, courage, commitment, you know, integrity, and being able to show up every day at the highest level. Uh, I, I was working at a department of the White House, a top secret facility. And, um, you know, at the time, worked for two presidents directly. And then, um, you know, one of the, the vice presidents at the time is now our current president. So um, I've got to work with three different presidents. And, 
yeah, man, that's really, that's really where it kicked off, you know? So after that time, you know, I knew that leaving the Marine Corps, you know, I think that every experience, good or bad, there's a lot to learn from, but sometimes Absolutely. what you learn is what you don't want. Right. Yeah. I learned a lot in the Marine Corps and there's a lot of memories I love, but I learned a lot about what I didn't want out of my life. And, um, you know, a couple of things that I did not want is I did not want to be in a position where I was expected to put my work before my family. Mm. And, um, while I was in the Marine Corps, I, I did, uh, get married and uh, my wife and I have been together almost 13 years now. Right on. And, um, you know, we had a little girl, at the time, you know, later went on, you know, we've got a, a son now as well. But so at that point I'm married, I got a little girl and I'm like, look, I was having to go on trips. I was having to leave places and I couldn't tell her where I was going. It's just, you're leaving. I, I got to go. I'm leaving on this day. At some point, you know, you'll get to find out where I'm at or where I was. And, um, you know, it was tough. You know, we were both young. She's out in DC, you know, we, very few friends. There wasn't very many people our age that was married with kids, especially in the line of work uh, that I was in. Yeah. Um, it was almost nobody. So, you know, we were just a young family who didn't have anybody to rely on except ourselves. And um, I just knew that I wanted to uh, build a future where I had more time freedom uh, to spend and allocate my time into the things that I valued the most, you know, primarily my family. And then um, obviously financial freedom, being able to provide for them to um, give and put money into the, again, the things that I value the most. And so, you know, after leaving the Marine Corps, you know, what was I going to do? I wasn't hundred percent sure, but I knew that I was going to figure it out. And I knew that I was going to get it done. <laughs> that was kind of the mindset, right? I was like, Hey, whatever, whatever happens, I'm going to figure it out because, um, you know, that was just kind of, kind of, uh, what had been instilled in me. And so I ended up moving back to West Texas where my parents were now living, where I graduated high school, um, and where my wife and her family had been were from. And so we brought the family back out to West Texas. And uh, I was going to Texas Tech University. I was working on starting my first business and um, ended up um, opening a business within a year of being back, ended up you know partnering on a separate business and uh, started my entrepreneurial journey. And I had the skill sets, right, to operate inside the space. But did I have the skill sets to go run a new company? That was a different thing I had to learn. I started learning that on the job. Right. So I'm, I'm on the job and I'm figuring out, okay, so now I've become obsessed with how do you run and operate a company well? How do you grow and scale a business? Not just how do you get really good at a trade? Because I was great at the trade, but I wasn't great at uh, the other thing. And so, you know, one thing that, um, you know, for me and my personality, my background, I really enjoy learning and I, I enjoy learning quickly. So something that I get excited about, I become relatively obsessed and go, I like to go deep really fast and then uh, apply. And so, you know, I was learning in business. I was growing, you know, in my own businesses and ended up getting connected with a mentor, um, a guy by the name of Blake Templeton, who actually had started Boron Capital back in 06. And um, we worked together for a couple of years. And uh, eventually, I remember I was kind of processing some different transition things and thinking about, you know, how to take things to the next level, where do I want to go, how do I want it to work. And um, we had been doing some different things together. And then, you know, one day I was, I, I had been working at a conference with him. And he just looked at me, he's like, what do you think about doing this full time? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? You know, like, what, is, what does that mean? What does it look like? And so it became a lot of different conversations. And uh, eventually, you know, we came to the decision that it makes sense for me to sell uh, what I had been um, previously building and come over onto the team full time. And so coming over onto the team, it was, um, it was getting started and getting into a new space, but it was taking the skills that I had developed previously and then applying them into the new position and coming to join the team 
and uh, growing together with Born Capital. So that was back in 2017. So I've been uh, almost five years over with the company now and um, you know, really excited about where it's been growing and what it's been doing. So that's a little bit on the personal side, but um, we'll let it take, I'll let you take it wherever you want to go from here. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I heard some really cool stuff as you know, you've been sharing in terms of your journey of, of growth and skill building and mindset and really, you know, identifying a vehicle, an opportunity, a space that, you know, what you said is most aligned with your priorities and, and your core values, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think that's something that a lot of people overlook. They, they go and look for what makes the most money versus mm-hmm. like, first off, what, what are my core values and being clear on what those things are and your priorities and letting those decisions of yeses or nos kind of play out based on do they align with our core values first? And, and I love that, yeah. you know, that was something that you really um, prioritized in terms of making that decision and a pivot, uh, especially, you know, as you had a great job and something that, you know, many people would probably say is amazing, right? And, um, you know, I think for people that are freedom chasers, uh, it's not always about the money. It's what the money can unlock for them and, and how that money yeah. can matter to funding your dream and ideal lifestyle. Um, and you kind of, you know, shared a little bit about how you transitioned into Boron Capital. What is Boron Capital and what do you guys do and what's been the core focus, you know, in the past and present and going forward? Yeah. So just like, you know, we each have our own personal journey, businesses have the same journey, right? They they have different growing pains, they have different seasons. And um, you know, Born Capital, it got started with Blake and his wife, you know, back in 06 and um got started primarily in real estate. So, I mean, they were out there grinding, knocking doors, doing flips, wholesales, short sales, you know, and uh stopping foreclosures and really spending time, you know, on a lot of transactional uh, real estate, turning over and bringing in, you know, high cash flow and really working on building up an income, which for anybody, I would say that, you know, creating a foundational income is extremely important as you're working to grow and scale within wealth. But um, from there, as it, as it evolved over the years, um, kind of grew into multifamily, was, we're, we're doing multifamily deals, started working into the syndication route where, you know, began working with uh, limited partners and putting together investment offerings and things like that. And then uh, really over the last few years, um, we've really transitioned to where we're working more on longer term scale. And we've been working on longer term holdings and growing the portfolio and, and really just asking ourselves, look, w- what asset classes do we want to be in? Right? Because one of the main things I think that is so beneficial about private investment firms is that in most cases, if it's set up in a way that I believe it should be set up, you're setting yourself up to actually be partners with you know, your LPs, right? You're not an investment firm where you're just taking and brokering people's money. You're going out and you're creating the opportunities that you believe in, then allowing people to join you on those opportunities. And so you know, we just consistently ask the question of where and how do we want to allocate? And then we're setting up opportunities for people to join us in that. And most recently, you know, we still firmly believe in the opportunities of real estate, all the core values, the principles that uh, make real estate great. And um, we're expanding our long-term holdings through investment funds focused on self-storage and mobile home communities. And um, obviously, then investors are coming alongside of us into uh, those investments. And then we've got, you know, decided to get a crazy wild hair a couple of years ago and uh, really start diving in deep into uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. 
And that would be our other primary uh, pillar is um, we've got a hedge fund focused in blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. And so, you know, presently, our, our main focuses are scaling with inside, you know, this crypto arm of our business and then the expansion on the uh, real estate holdings on the other side. That's awesome, man. Well, I know we're going to dig into uh, the crypto kind of vertical because I think that's very yeah. interesting, <laughs> uh, especially for the, you know, the, the landscape and where we're at and obviously where I think many people think the, you know, puck is going. Yeah. But talk about some of, you know, your guys's, you know, favorite asset classes, the different types of fund structures, and really what separates you guys, Boron Capital, from many other private investment funds that are out there. Yeah. Well, I say let's, let's start by kind of probably going with what more people are familiar with, which would be the real estate side, I would assume, you know. And um, one, I think just the difference between a syndication versus a fund. Typically, and just kind of the general understanding would be when you're going to a syndication, typically you're looking at a single property, right? So the group you're working with, the individual you're working with, whoever it might be that you're partnering with is, is, has identified a deal. And they're saying whether it's a multifamily project, whether it's a self-storage, a mobile home community, a hotel, whatever it might be. I've got, you know, one, two, three, four Main Street. This is the asset class. This is uh, the strategy behind it. It's an opportunity zone. It's a value add. It's a long-term buy and hold, whatever is going to be the strategy. And then we're saying, this is what, how we want to execute this strategy. We'd like you to partner with us. And this is how you know people always want to know, one, how am I going to get my money back? Two, when am I going to get my money back? <laughs> Three, you know, what's the business plan, the strategy? Obviously, learning about the people that are behind it and then knowing kind of what, a, what the return profile looks like. Now, inside of that, you know, you're going to have to ask the question, based off of the macro environment and where we think the economy might be going, where we think these asset classes might be going, do I think that this is a good time to execute a strategy like this, right? And that's going to change from asset to asset, from strategy to strategy. And to give maybe a, a simpler example, kind of break it down, most people have probably seen a value add multifamily project, right? There's with we've done them. I think Matt, you've probably been involved in them, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of them out there. And what, what's happening with that? It's saying, look, I've got one, two, three, four Main Street. You know, it's a good buy for X reason. We're going to buy it at this price. We're going to make these improvements. And then we're going to seek to have a disposition, a sale of that asset within X amount of time. Let's you know, two years, three years, five years, whatever it's going to be. And the main the main objective of that is to take and utilize this asset as a vehicle to increase your cash position. That's what's that's the actual objective. I'm trying to increase my cash objective, my cash position by turning over this in X amount of years. Okay. That's a value add. Right now, you know, even though we've done value adds in the past, we're more focused on long-term asset accumulation. Right. So rather than just trying to increase the cash position, we're trying to increase our assets position. We're trying to grow the portfolio for longer term holds. So on the real estate side, like I said, we're focused on self-storage and mobile home communities for a couple of reasons. Number one, because over the last 25 years, they've really been top one, two, and three positions, you know, year over year when it comes to net operating income or what we would call cash flow. Right. And so during, shall we say, uncertain economic times, um, your cash flows are so imperative, important to your long-term survival. So we're saying we believe in the long-term value of this 
asset class, regardless of an up and down. They've shown to be historically, you know, recession resistant, if we will, with our disclaimed words, right? <laughs> no, we can't say proof, right? Because uh, there's no there's no guarantees in investing, but, you know, recession resistant for sure and strong cash flows. So, you know, if we have pullbacks, you know, the idea would be that our cash flows are going to continue to pay us getting through. And then as we come back through and markets are growing, we can actually, you know, enjoy that appreciation by longer term holds and then focusing on strategic refinances to access capital tax free rather than having to have a disposition. So if I go and sell the property, one, I lose the asset. Two, I then either have a high tax position or I'm going to have to be forced for a quick 1031, which I'm sure you know most of your more experienced investors have dealt with that before, and uh, can be you know a, a, a trying time to find comes the right with asset. Its challenges, yeah, it comes with its challenges. <laughs> so, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to increase your cash position because that's going to be relevant to whatever you're looking for and your needs presently, and it's, and also your needs as a company and as, as an investor. Um, but for us. We're more focused on the long-term buy and hold with these asset classes. One, because we like the asset classes. Two, we believe in them long-term. Three, we believe that they'll serve us well during either, you know, an up or down market as we're moving across, you know, more uncertain times. And so, you know, that kind of flips, you know, how does that make you different? Well, to answer that question, I would say that, you know, like I said, the first question most investors ask, how do I get my money back? Because that's when you're limiting your risk exposure is when you've got money back in your pocket. And so, you know, since we are doing a longer term hold, we kind of flip the model on its head and say, look, we'll pay you all your money back first. So we're actually beginning distributions and then paying the money back. Then we do a, a preferred rate on the money while it's working in the deal. So we pay the money back plus the pref. And then from there, they actually retain all of their equity and continue to, you know, enjoy the benefits of ownership for the life of the deal. Uh, without uh, having to be uh, in a position where their capital's tied up long term, makes sense. Yeah, I think you know what I've seen in the world of you know syndicators and funds is, um, especially uh, well. Before I share my observation, what are you? Have you seen? What have you seen in terms of the landscape change over the last couple years with syndicators and funds, good and bad? Well, I think that I think that the buys are getting tighter. Mm -hmm. I think that um, people are going to struggle to continue to operate the same way they were operating. Um, so, with that in mind, I could say the positive positive of that would be that it's going to force people to be way more conscious conscientious on the front side of how they're setting up their structure and strategy, how they're buying. Um, because even in 2019, I'll just tell you, so we had a disposition of majority of our multifamily um, properties in 20, the end of 2019, because we felt like the markets were you know, selling at multiples that really were betting on not cash flow, not its ability to be able to you know, service its debt, but its ability to hopefully flip a couple of years from now. So you're living on margin. And I think that when things tighten up, it forces people to be more conscious on their budget, right? So the problem is, is, is a lot of investors, if, if you've only been investing for a few years, you might be conditioned to think that, you know, those things were supposed to continue forever. And then your, your, your capital is not quite as patient, right? So for us, you know, we really like to preach being more patient with your capital. 
yeah. making sure that you're consistently winning time and time again, um, rather than having wins sporadically here or there, being able to effectively deploy your capital uh, consistently over time, rather than, you know, I've got a couple hundred that I can deploy out here, a couple million that I can deploy out here, and then I'm struggling to find the amount of deals. So we're really seeking to solve that problem. And that's why, again, why we, I don't think I tied a bow around this earlier, but um, the fund versus the syndication, you know, one of the benefits of a fund, and again, this is, you know, from my perspective, is that for investors that are looking to allocate into a strategy, into a specific asset classes, you can get exposure um, to a lot larger portfolio by going with a fund rather than an individual deal, right? right? So the diversification comes from not only number of assets, but then you're also getting diversification in the asset type. And then you're also getting diversification by, you know, geographical location. Right. So it helps um, it helps balance, balance you out over time. And so, you know, for your people that are looking for that longer term position, um, those are some things that I'm seeing people looking into more. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely pros and cons, right? To the the individual yep. syndication, one asset, one location. Maybe you can get a little bit more granular on due diligence and granular on the market and the demographics and the asset itself. But right, you got all your eggs in one basket, you know, in a in a single syndication versus like you said, you know, some of the pros on the the fun side of things, you know, spreading things out a little bit more, more exposure, less, you know. Um, or maybe just a little bit more, you know, mitigation to your risk by being, you know, diversified a little bit more. And there's obviously, you know, some 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 cons that come along with it as well. But I, I've seen what feels like a lot more people get into the space of being syndicators or, you know, spinning up their own funds. That the barrier of I don't want to say the barrier of entry, I guess, is lowered, but I've seen more people come into the space, and I've also seen a lot of negligence come into the space where we've got good marketers, right? Who can really, uh, they can sell a great pro forma. Mm -hmm. But as you know, do you guys operate the assets, right? You manage the assets as well, or do you have a third party management, you know, kind of company outside or you guys vertically integrated within? Historically, we've done both. Okay. So, you know, it's a mix, but um, what I'll tell you to your point, it really, it really wasn't until you know the last ten years, actually a little less, that you know what most what most people are operating under is what's called Regulation D five hundred six B or five hundred six C, and it's really just been the last couple of years where more and more people are understanding how to structure this type of um, investment offering, and so I think just by nature of the time that this has been available, you're going there's obviously a natural growth curve there. But um, at the same time, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. What's extremely important for every investor to be looking into, obviously, is track record. Now, you know, like you mentioned, some of the benefits on a single asset. I think when people are going in on a single asset, the benefit is that I can go deep on my due diligence specifically on the asset. Yep. Right. So I like I, I can know this is the one. This is the property. I like it for all these reasons. So you're way you're really heavy on the property itself. Um, and then from there, do I believe that this you know, team, this guy, whoever it might be, can run this um, specifically. But you've got more ability to lean on the specific individual property. From a fund perspective, you do lose that, right? Because you can see some of the properties that are in the fund. But, you know, as far as diving into the deep due diligence of, of the individual asset, you don't have that opportunity. So what happens is you have to rely more heavily on 
the team and its track record? Do I believe that this team can execute the strategy? And then the asset classes um, involved in uh, association with that said strategy. Yep. So, you know, like you said, as far as where you have to spend your time and due diligence, that's that's where you're going to have to go. But regardless, it's extremely important for every investor to, you know, identify the team that's running it, who's actually getting into the operations, who's spending the time, what is their experience inside of the space and their track record. So, um, yeah, you don't want to get caught in the, the shiny wheel and the pro forma. And I'll just tell you, you know, from a performance perspective, in a lot of cases, um, especially from a fund perspective, we don't even do pro formas that way anymore because there's so much that um, ends up happening. Um, if when we're doing syndications, we were on on individual deals, right? Because yeah, then sure. you're putting, yeah. But from a fund perspective, um, especially with a return of capital first, um, you know, it's it's something that that we're not doing just an individual pro forma where you can see, you know, month over month, year over year. Yeah, no, that that makes sense, and you you kind of you know hit the nail on the head of what I was getting at. Right, is there's people that can um, sell a great story, but as you know, you know as a as an owner and operator of an asset, right, it's one thing to you know have a bunch of pretty numbers and and returns on on paper, but to actualize and and realize those into real life. And to build a moat around those assets and you know protect and grow them, it's it's a whole different level of execution that many people who have learned kind of you know the board game of syndications and funds, um, you know when it comes to strategy and execution of it, there there seems to be a big gap. And I'm seeing great operators absolutely crush it um, and, and do what they do, obviously. And then I'm seeing more people get in where they're, you know, raising capital through networking and exposure and eyes and marketing, but they don't have that operating track record and real experience of being yep. able to, you know, um, actualize what the, you know, business plan of the asset requires in order to provide what those investors are expecting. Right. hundred percent. And actually one tip I'd probably give for the listener, if you're going out and you're actually considering deals, when you go in, I would, I, I typically would press into the negatives and ensure that whoever you're talking with is really comfortable pressing into the negatives. Yep. So going into how things could go wrong, making sure they're not just selling you on all the positives and how amazing and super it's going to be, but like being willing to like look you in the eye and tell you like, there's no guarantee, right? And and your most seasoned people, they're most familiar with the fact that just even if they've had every deal turn out great, I can promise you it was difficult, yep. right? Like it's, it didn't just happen, right? Your experienced operators are going to know like this is going to be a process where we're showing up every day working to solve problems. Yep. And even if we're really good at solving those problems, you're still solving problems, which means there are problems, right? So pressing into negatives anytime you're interviewing with, uh, you know, a prospective uh, partner is um, is something that, um, you know, I, I would encourage people to consider. No, I agree 100%. I think, you know, you brought up some good points, right? If you're an LP listening to this right now and you're considering investing in, you know, syndications or funds, you know, some of the things that I always say that are really important to look at is, of course, like you said, right, the team, the experience, you know, are one, have they been through a full market cycle, a, a peak and a trough? Um, like you said, right, some of those assumptions may just be based on a very small window of time, which has all been kosher and rosy and great. Right. 
but they're not baking in, you know, the the downside and mitigating the risks and you know their assumptions. Um, been through a full cycle of you know doing uh, an acquisition to capturing the value add to whether it's a refi or disposition of the asset, right? Going through that full cycle, local market expertise, product type expertise, track record. Do they have a brand to protect? Uh, suitability is always a big one that I see a lot of people, they're just like, hey, if you got money, you can fog a mirror, let me take your money, <laughs> right? Versus like suitability, I think is if you're playing <clears throat> the long game, which I believe the best you know, businesses, operators, investors do, wealth, all the best stuff is created in the crock pot, not the microwave. So you know, if you're doing right by your LPs, you know, does this investment offering or this fund you know, actually align with your needs, your goals, when you want to achieve those things by, you know, the person that um, might need, you know, cash flow right now and be retired may have a little bit different suitability need than somebody who's like, Hey, I'm patient money. I don't, I just want capital growth. I don't want any capital back right now. You know, I don't need any more taxable income, you know? So I think those things are important. Of course, the market, you know, big demographics, um, you know, the real estate, of course, itself. And then, you know, the, uh, the assumptions that they're baking into the deal, those are all important things, you know, to do due diligence on as an LP. Yeah. Um, I'm curious in terms of, you know, due diligence that you guys do in whether it's, you know, market demographics, asset demographics, um, you know, anything that is important that you guys always spotlight and, you know, certain boxes have to be checked before you guys decide to, you know, allocate funds towards an investment. Yeah. So, you know, it's good. Obviously, we're talking about, you know, a couple of different types of investment classes. So whenever we're looking at different real estate side, it's going to be some of it's, you know, your general, right, that you're hitting with any type of place you're going to put money as far as the market dynamics, as far as that specific location, what's going on there. And then there's specifics with the asset class itself. You know, maybe on this side, I'll transition over onto um, crypto because I think this is probably a more new area for consideration. A lot of people are like, how are you going in and figuring right. out where you want to put capital? Yeah. Right. And so West. you guys obviously have some level of investment thesis and some bumpers <laughs> on the bowling alley, right? Yeah. Well, sometimes, you know, you want <laughs> these, Oh, that's the one right there. Right. It's going to the moon, the right? Tail on the donkey. Um, no. So, you know, in crypto, it's, it's an interesting space because <clears throat> one, there's actually more data that's available for people to see on a daily basis than you would ever get in the stock market. So the way that the that, that data is, is aggregating the stock market is comes with your quarterly reports, right? As you're turning in quarterlies, that's then getting reported and pushed back. So whenever I come in and I'm looking at financials and everything like that, I'm always looking backwards, Yep. right? So I'm looking backwards and then saying, okay, based off what I can see in the past, do I think then that maybe into the future, this might be uh, the thing, right? So my data is always dated. Yeah. With crypto, you actually have what's called on-chain metrics. So your on-chain metrics allows you to go in because blockchain technology is actually a verifiable infrastructure that maintains data across time and space. I can go in on any given day and actually see how many wallets there are, how many people are using it, how many transactions are taking place on this day, what's moving on on exchanges, what's moving off exchanges, how many people are trading, what are the buy orders and sellers, and actually get in to this on-chain data. So from a data perspective, on a technical analysis, you have a lot of of things you have access to that you can really get in and see, is there actually activity here, right? So this this is just kind of an interesting side note. So we have the software that 
you know, we were utilizing to uh, look at traffic on one of our websites, okay, to see how the website was performing. And then there's a website that allows you to, um, let's say, post on their platform and it'll help gain you exposure, you know, to their network, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, then we went and ran a test and could see their traffic and their traffic was next to nothing. You're like, how am I supposed to be getting all this, you know, exposure when I can back in and see that there's no traffic coming to your website? So, right. so I, that was verifiable. Now, with crypto, it's the same way. I can go in and see all of these different projects and coins, and I can look at the back end and determine, is there actually transaction taking place? Are people actually adopting this? Are they actually utilizing this? And at what rates on a day-to-day basis? So on-chain metrics, on-chain data, or what's called tokenomics, um, is one of the primary pillars that we're looking at and we have access to, to be able to determine if we think a project is viable, right? And is it actually getting real-world use today? Okay. The other thing we're really looking at is utility. So a lot of people, I think there's a misconception about the crypto market that because it's called cryptocurrency, everybody thinks that this is just, you know, different types of monies trying to compete when that's, that's not the case at all. What it is, is you have a new technology. Think like when the internet came out, there's a new technology. And then on that technology, there's going to be thousands, hundreds of thousands of different businesses that are created to then serve a purpose with inside the greater economy to solve a problem, solve a need that then is built with this new technology. Yep. That's what's happening with blockchain is, you know, you have new companies coming out, new businesses, and these are what are called, you know, you know, um, these are what are called cryptocurrencies, right? Or these, these projects inside of blockchain. So they're coming out, it could be anything from you know, providing a digital infrastructure for contracts, right? It could be providing an infrastructure for title work, right? Our real estate investors, you can actually on the blockchain, you could secure all title work historically. And, you know, I don't know if anybody, I mean, you remember 15 years ago when you had to go to the courthouse to get any type of data on any type of project. Well, now some of that record is online, but imagine if you could just have access to it at any point and verify all the data surrounding a property. It would be incredible, right? And then all your title work could happen simultaneously. There's payroll companies being built with cryptocurrency where you know payment settlement is actually happening in real time. So if you've got an hourly employee, when they're on the clock, they can be getting paid in real time. So you never need a payroll company ever again. So anyways, I'm just kind of all over the board from you know medical records to data to you know whatever it might be. So then the next pillar would be utility. What is this thing seeking to solve in the world? And is that a real problem that needs to be solved? Yep. Okay. So do we believe this has real world use case that's being implemented presently that will continue to grow and be adopted and have opportunity to continue to grow into the future? Okay. Then from there, we actually are looking at the adoption rate. So what does the community look like behind it? How many users are currently behind it? How many wallets are behind it? How, how many people are actually you know speaking about this? You can go in and pull data of, of all the data of how many tweets are happening around it, how many news articles are coming around it. And you're actually looking in and seeing like, holy smokes, you've got X amount of millions of users, right? There's, there's, there's cryptos presently that are doing millions of transactions daily. Like people, a lot of people are thinking this is off into the future. It might be something, but it's actually happening now, right? So this is really just the base level. And it's already happening in millions. I mean, Bitcoin's the fastest adopted technology in history. And actually the data just came out that uh, Americans, right now, there's 24% of Americans have a crypto wallet. 
And I guess right now, only 23% of Americans have a savings account. So for the first time in history, you've got more people with a crypto wallet than a savings account, which wow. the data seems crazy to me, but um, you know, that's what's come out. So anyway, so you've got on-chain data, you've got the utility that it's serving, you've got the adoption rate, and then, I mean, you've got the team behind it, right? Yeah. You're able to see, and then you know, going back with adoption, you know, because people are developing on this. So you're going to see who are the developers, how many people are developing on it, how many are building on it. Then you've got from the team behind it, who are the actual developers of that thing? Who's the team? Who's the CEO? Who's leading the charge? What's their vision? What are their morals? What are what is their character? What where are they trying to take this? Are they building the right team with the right resumes who can actually bring this project to fruition? Same way, when you're vetting, you know, if you wanted to come vet us from an operational standpoint, do we have the operational capacity as a team to to take out and run this strategy? We want to know the same thing about them, right? So we're going in in a lot of cases. You know, you're able to meet with these you know, operators, you're able to learn about them, see their track record, hear their vision. You know, in certain cases, it's, I mean, it's sitting down with the CEO and actually getting to learn about them. So, you know, when we're talking about how are you analyzing a deal? I mean, so that that's part of the process that's happening, right? Whenever we're analyzing projects with inside of crypto and then determining where and how we want to allocate and which projects we want to allocate into, right? And then of course you have, you know, your operational standpoint, which would be like your fundamental data, what's happening, big picture, yep. you know, and then you have what's called technical analysis, which is determining what's happening more with inside of the charts and how things are trading and trending, you know, presently on a shorter term, right? So in, on that particular fund, are you guys going short and long? Are you playing mainly long or what is the overall thesis of the crypto fund? Yeah. So for the crypto fund itself, I mean, the main objective is, is to give investors the opportunity to gain exposure into this market and do so through an actively managed index. So we're not just a Bitcoin fund. We are an actively managed index, meaning we're going to hold multiple different projects. And the goal would then be to help increase the return on the investment and then decrease the downside exposure for the investor. And so by actively managed, the answer is yes, we will uh, come in. In certain cases, we may short certain things. In certain cases, we may long certain things. From a, from a portfolio perspective, though, I would tell you that from a thesis standpoint, we believe that this market will be worth considerably more in the future than it is today. So with that in mind, I would tell you that we are absolutely net long and um, we do invest as such, right? Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network 
and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. So you may find people that are traders and traders are people that are, you know, making an hourly call, a, a daily call, maybe a weekly call, but pretty much your day traders is going to be operating within a 24-hour period. A swing trader would be more on a weekly, bi-weekly, and you're making moves as the data is starting to change, right? So for us, you know, we would have the larger portion of our portfolio is going to sit net long. And then the turnover on the portfolio where we're going to be making some trades, moving in and out of positions is going to be, you know, maybe in that you know, 30, 40% range on an annual basis, you might turn the portfolio over, you know, um, on a smaller amount. So, so yes, net long, and then we are actively managing a portion of it and then moving in and out of positions to help hedge, decrease risk, and then be able to deploy down at lower numbers, right? So, you know, coming in, if, if we're anticipating some pullbacks, we may move into some cash, hold that cash, earn interest on that cash. And then as we're maintaining some bottoms, start redeploying that to then gain, you know, greater basis positions to allow ourselves to uh, benefit on the upside and things like that. So, yeah. That's awesome. And now in terms of the overall, you know, landscape of crypto, you know, what are some of the, um, well, first, in terms of the kind of economics of somebody that may want to come into the fund, you know, what, what is the, you know, minimum investment? What's the preferred return? You know, what is kind of the overall offering look like in the, the crypto fund of uh, Boron Capital? Yeah. So from a fund perspective, the way the fund works is, you know, we talked, we covered this before. It's a 506C. So it's for accredited investors only. Okay. The minimum investment set at 250K. And then from there, you know, a couple of things to, to look at is it is net long. So, you know, there's there are swings month over month, and people need to realize that. Especially right. Especially in crypto. So, right? so I mean, I hit this hard with everybody. And this is the part of like driving into the negatives. Like, I don't let anybody come into this fund until they've seen our worst months. Yeah. You know, like look yeah. at this. You see that? Yeah, this can you, happened. Can you handle that? Are you sure? Yeah, are you, you going to be okay? I don't want you calling me a month from now and saying, yeah, right. oh my gosh, what the heck happened? And, and I'm going to be over here like, yeah, you need to put more money in. Yeah. yeah. This is <laughs> this is the discount this right is the here. Time, right? This is the time, you know? So you, you definitely want people in alignment, right? So, you know, our goal is, is, is first and foremost, educating and then sharing, you know, obviously the thesis and where we think it's going and, and uh, the opportunity there. And in which case then people... There, as your conviction grows, you know, you'll be able to one, when it pulls back, go, this is an opportunity, not a problem. Yeah. Right. So, so yes, you know, it is definitely looking at those shorter months, but, uh, or those, those, those shorter term gains, um, or losses need to need to be hit hard on the front side. Yep. But, um, you know, kind of just going over the dynamics, 250 K minimum, and then accredited investor, um, we have what's called a lockup. 
And a lockup is essentially a time in which from initial investment, you're unable to withdraw funds. And that's 12 months. So nothing crazy in a hedge fund. You know, 12 to, yeah, 12 to 36 months is kind of you know normal 12 months uh, for us. Um, and then we also have what's called a watermark because the way the way the fund works is you have a management fee and then what's called performance allocation. So that's how we would make our money. And that's another point is anytime you're going to invest into something new, I like to encourage people to always ask the direct question, how do you make money? Yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> you know, so that's important to know. So our money is primarily made when we're increasing the profit of the fund. If the fund is not reaching new all-time highs, we're not getting any performance split. So a watermark is is the level at which the the essentially the all-time high is at. So for instance, let's just say and it's calculated quarterly. So you know, say January 1st the fund is worth $1. Okay? At the end of the quarter, it's worth $2. So a dollar in profit was made, right? We're on the same page there. Yep. Um, we have a performance split. It's a 75-25. 25 to us as a GP, 75 to the LPZ investors. So then that what'll happen is the watermark was at one. Now it's going to be at two. So then that 25 cents peel off that goes to general partner. And now you have a new watermark at $2. So then for us to receive additional performance, we'd have to close out the next quarter higher. If it drops down during the quarter and comes back up to $2, all that's investors because we've already been paid on that money. We can't be paid twice on you know money that's already been made, right? So you have a performance allocation like I covered that that only is split uh, when you reach and surpass the high watermark, and then you have a management fee that is basically just the normal operation just to keep the lights on and to keep the fund turning. You know. Yep. Absolutely. And you want your fund managers making money because uh, yes. <laughs> if, they're, if they're making money, right, then uh, one, they're protecting your money. And two, uh, the promote schedule, right, as you said, is is there to incentivize, you know, your your fund uh, operator, your syndicator to go out and hit those hurdles. So one, you're making more money. And then obviously they get, you know, uh, a larger piece of the pie as well based on their performance of going out and making you more money, right? Yeah, you hit something very, very important, incentives. So anytime I'm looking at something I would put money into, I'd be considering the incentives of the person running it, right? And like you said, if you squeeze it too tight, you could actually be disincentivizing the people and they may not, can hardly live off of how tight it's squeezed. Yep. Well, that would be a bad thing. But then it would also, from my perspective, be a bad thing if they were making all this money right up front. <laughs> so conversely, swing it to the other side and you're like, why are you getting so much money up front? We haven't even done anything. You know? yeah. <laughs> so then that's, you know, alternatively, that would be, you know, a not a good incentive either. Yep. You know, you have to be able to, you know, pay them reasonably to be able to go out and operate. And then you want to create an incentivized structure to where it shows that their interest is aligned with yours, where, where they're incentivized to come out and make me more money because when they make me more money, then they'll get more money, in which case, you know, it's, it's contract, they're contractually incentivized to do their absolute best. And when they succeed, succeed I succeed. Right? Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, I, I look at it to just simplify things. It's the g- gamification makes everything more fun. 
It, yeah. it, it creates carrots, it creates incentives, right? And so when you can create different levels and tiers, anybody that's competitive and wants to win and is, you know, the way the game is built that we'll just call it the ecosystem that it's built within, you know, in, in this context, we're talking finance and, you know, real right. estate or, or really just fund and structures and investments, you know, those people want to go out and find ways to beat the boss of that level to then go and get to the next level and, you know, earn that uh, extra stripe or badge or star or whatever it may be. Right. So I think, you know, like you said, it's finding that happy, healthy balance where the sticker shock on the front end isn't like, Hey, this doesn't make sense, but it's healthy. We can all agree that, you know, this makes sense. And here's the roadmap of how we're incentivized to go and one hit these returns for you. And then, you know, uh, lieu of that, we get to, you know, collect uh, a little something on on top of that as well because we earned yeah. that. So I think that's really important, like you said, to 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 ask those questions, think about those things. I want to get your take on where you think the worlds of crypto and real estate collide. What does that look like right now? And maybe some of the challenges or opportunities and what do you think it looks like going forward? Yeah, I'd ask you to provide a little bit more context on your question. Are you talking about in the way that crypto could potentially be utilized by real estate operators? Are you talking about how investors who presently are in real estate could benefit from crypto? I mean, help me understand. Really both. You know, you, you, you brought two, I think, veins that really, I think, horizon wise, both have great opportunity and obviously different conversations from different contexts. But I think, you know, those two worlds, you know, are are really going to, you know, um, converge at some point. And, you know, we can talk about maybe in the perspective of how cryptocurrency is ultimately going to be, you know, utilized to um, come into the world of physical real estate and assets. Yeah. So, you know, from more of a retail and operational standpoint, um, you know, I covered a couple of things earlier. Um, I think that you'll see what are called smart contracts uh, being involved in the uh, contractual exchanges of monies. So, you know, buying and selling real estate, I think, will eventually take place. And I think buying and selling anything of real value will eventually take place um, through uh, these types of smart contract processes because they eliminate the need for any third-party authentication because they are trustless and they are a secure network where exchange can take place transparently. And I think that any type of uh, trans- transparency in anything uh, really helps allow for you know better better operations. Right. Same thing from a business operations. Um, I think we're probably still ways out, but there's things that are called DAOs, yep. and um, DAOs are. Um, these operations that could be employed by every business where you now have way more transparency in all the financials of every single business, right? So imagine if you could actually see and understand as a stakeholder, um, everything that's happening with inside the business. So same thing, like who's ever purchased a property where the numbers didn't turn out how they how they said they were, they were whenever it happened, right? You're like, oh, I thought this did, I thought this was X, Y, and Z. Oh, but you're not actually making collections on those rents, even though they're contractually obligated to pay. You're like, what the heck? That that's not the same thing, you know? Yep. Yep. So so imagine then if 
I could have, or if I had an asset or a business that I was uh, looking to buy into, that I could then see all of that type of data um, through these types of structures. So transparency in operations, um, smart contracts in contractual transactions. Um, and then like from title work, I mean, um, most people probably heard about NFTs and NFTs. I think, you know, everybody's like, what the heck are you talking about? Those, those crazy looking monkeys. No, not the crazy looking monkeys, even though, you know, um, there's a lot of stuff happening with inside of that space, but I'm talking about, um, a digital secured, um, uh, deed more or less a receipt, a deed that then exactly. can carry title, um, cleanly, um, and, uh, maintain it. Uh, throughout history. And so, you know, I, I can see NFTs being utilized and involved in from an operational standpoint. And from an investment standpoint, I, I think that this is more applicable today. So like for everybody that's listening today, if you want to think about like how, 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 how if I'm in real estate right now, how crypto could benefit me. I mean, aside from the fact that, um, like, I'll just tell you, um, for the last two years, number one, we've significantly outperformed Bitcoin individually, right? And that's kind of the benchmark, right? So if you're invested in stock, you might benchmark against the S&P. We're really looking at Bitcoin. We've significantly outperformed it year over year. And, um, you know, we've had triple digit returns year over year, right? So obviously from a return perspective, you know, I'd say, you know, crypto is great when you're looking to get exposure out here. And as long as you're willing to come in with a longer term mindset and not be worried on the shorter term month to month, right? Yep. So from long-term perspective, you know, your return profiles look great there and your opportunity is great. But like presently, you know, on the real estate side, if you're a real estate investor and you're looking to get into crypto, one of the main benefits, and like, that's us, we are real estate investors and crypto investors. Yep. So in crypto, you know, it's likely that you're going to incur short-term and long-term capital gains. And the returns have been very good year over year. And I think they will continue on a longer-term basis to remain very good. Now, on the real estate side, number one, you have a great anchor for your portfolio, but then you also have a lot of depreciation, you have losses, and you can offset taxes. So, you know, if you were going to come in and you're looking at like how I can gain within crypto, well, now you can also offset a lot of your taxable gains by having that paired partnership with all of your real estate. So, you know, whenever you put those two asset classes together, I think that from an investment profile, number one, I am setting myself up to allocate into, you know, a position that I think has more upside. Uh, than our real estate. But then at the same time, my real estate is such a beautiful complementary asset because of my my tax benefits that then allow me to help offset some of those gains and then, you know, effectively, you know, increase my returns across the board. So, you know, you're able to take, you know, profits and incomes and things like that uh, from your real estate depreciation that then, and all of it can be utilized to help you grow and succeed with inside crypto as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've got, the runway of the NFT space and how smart money is coming into that space have gone, hey, we're not, you know, I think a lot of people have just been introduced to NFTs and think NFTs are, right, the crazy monkeys, the crypto punks, the, you know, world of women. And it, artists have introduced many people to NFTs, you know, but at the end of the day, the landscape of how NFTs can be utilized I think is is endless. And obviously, right, there's a lot of dust that still needs to settle. Rules need to be written. Regulation needs to happen. But um, smart money's moving into the space. I was, you know, reading an article this last week. Goldman Sachs says that it's exploring the tokenization of real estate uh, assets. The Global Investment Bank says it's looking into NFTs in the context of financial instruments because that is where the power is. Goldman Sachs said it is examining non-fungible tokens and particularly the tokenization of real estate assets um, as the investment bank dives deeper into the crypto space. So, you know, I was curious of, 
your guys' thoughts on that, how you guys are maybe, you know, thinking or positioning yourself now for where we think this, you know, the puck might be skating towards and, you know, what, um, what your take is on that. Yeah. So you have to ask yourself where and how you're going to participate within the space. So like, I think that from a retail perspective, right. From a retail perspective, there's a lot of things happening. So you mentioned some good things. So like Goldman Sachs also just now is an, uh, opened up an over-the-counter trading desk for Bitcoin. Yep. Massive. Um, BlackRock, who manages over 11 trillion, now says the demand's so high that they're going to have to work out a runway to allow people to get into crypto. Fidelity is now going to allow 401k holders, which Fidelity is has a massive amount of 401ks, to then gain access to Bitcoin, right? Institutions are working rapidly to find a way to get their money into this space efficiently and effectively, but they have a lot of red tape to get through. And it's probably going to be, you know, 12 to 18 months before that there really becomes a real effective way for this massive institutional money to flow in at the rates it's wanting to flow into. And we're not talking, it doesn't have to be 10%, but I mean, two, 3% of massive institutional money, we're talking about trillions of dollars right. flowing into this market. This market's presently just you know, right around two trillion. So you know, when two trillion more flows in, that, that comes in on a multiple, right? And the markets will grow exponentially from the supply and demand and the money coming in. So for everyone listening, I mean, this is a buying opportunity, even if there is some volatility when we process the long-term application, not just the utility over time, but the actual adoption over time, and then the amount of money that's going to be looking to come into this market. So you know, um, there's just so much happening. But on the retail side of how people are going to um, you know utilize it. Well, you know, there's definitely going to, there's a lot of payment rails that are working on it. Strike, if you've heard of Strike, you've got, you know, different things from, you know, Apple has come out and it's right now it's, it's Apple's talking about being able to add, you know, um, onto their Apple Pay, connect to a crypto wallet rather than, um, not, not rather than, but in addition to the way you'd connect to your bank account, right? Yeah. So now, and Apple has a billion iPhone users, a billion people will now be able to tap their phone and go, I can spend my money. Frictionless. But then on the other side, you've got you've got small business owners and small business owners right now. All these payment rails are now looking for opportunities to integrate crypto so that it can be easily uh, utilized and exchanged. Yep. So you know there's going to be the spending of crypto. There's going to be the investing of crypto. Um, so again, there's a retail side, investment side. You know we're not presently working on you know we're not we're not doing special development on you know um, projects to tokenize things or doing NFT launches or anything like that. What we're doing is, um, you looking at it from more of a investment standpoint, and then being able to allocate capital into those projects that we believe are going to have the best opportunity at success so that we can make sure to bring, you know, positive ROI and strong returns back to investors. Yep. Makes total sense. Are there any particular verticals within the space that you guys are very bullish on? Obviously, maybe not specific positions that you're taking, but industry sectors, projects that you think have some good opportunity and upside for investors? Yeah, for sure. I, I'd say that, you know, for those looking to get in, I mean, getting into Bitcoin is probably what most people would consider your safest bet as far as like gaining exposure. That's where most people will start. It's your gateway drug, if yeah. you will. Um, but um, from there, I would tell you, um, we really like the layer one space. And for those who aren't familiar, layer ones are really an infrastructure that that's creating a sort of, let's call it software that allows other applications and projects to be built upon. And so Similarly, maybe the easiest way to understand is going back to the iPhone. 
The iPhone has an iOS system. And the iOS system is this operating system and software. And then what happens is you have thousands of different businesses that have that are called apps. And those apps are then built and ran on that infrastructure. So what's happening is these layer ones are going out and they're allowing thousands of different businesses to be developed and created because of the infrastructure they've created. And all the transaction and utilization of that infrastructure happens within inside of their tokens, their coins that then brings money back to all the people that are holding uh, exposure to those areas. So, you know, uh, one of these layer ones that everybody's heard of would be Ethereum, right? So I'll just give you that as an example. So Ethereum is a, a layer one and it's a smart contract platform. So I really like layer ones that are smart contracts. Um, just kind of if I was going to give a broad stroke of, um, you know, an area that I think is um, presently um, holding a lot of value and, and only growing in value, that would be one one sector with inside of it that that I could share. Now, I know for the sake of time, we're only scratching the surface of all of this. <laughs> and, you know, people might have more questions or more interest in, you know, cryptocurrency funds or what you guys have yeah. going on. Um and I believe that you guys have some great resources that you make available to your investors or interested investors. You know, what do you guys have available for people to continue their education process? Yeah, for sure. So um, let me give you this. Um, if you are, this is, you know, whether you're accredited or not, if you're accredited and you're actually interested in learning more about the fund, still come down the same avenue um, and we'll get connected with you. But um, what we found to be the simplest thing is just a text line. So I've got a text number. And uh, when you text this number, what it's going to do is it's, you know, it's going to ask you for your name. It's going to get you connected to us. But that text comes to me. Like the system, it's going to populate and I'm going to read it. I'm going to see it. And I will jump on and respond to you. So from there, I can call you. I can text you, you know, things like that. But um, just for everybody in general, when you text this line, what we'll do, I actually, I just recorded a masterclass. It's a little over two hours. Uh, I recorded it for a private wealth group. And um, afterwards, we're like, you know, I think this would be a resource that other people would be interested in. So we put it together. Yeah, right if, you text, if, yeah if, you if anybody texts in, we'll send you the masterclass. You can continue your education, learn about it, whether you're accredited or non-accredited. It's great information. It'll help you understand this market and actually how to get started if you were just looking to get started. If you want to go, you know, buy a little Bitcoin, you know, you want to put a thousand bucks in it and say, hey, well, I'm doing the thing now. Um, it'll teach you how to do that, but it'll teach you how to understand the market as a whole. Um, and then, um, yeah, all you got to do, you're just going to pull out your phone and text the word info, I-N-F-O, to the number 877-771-0615. So you just text info, just put that into the thread, I-N-F-O, and then the number 877-771-0615, hit send. It'll send you a message back asking for your name, put your name in, send you a link to the course. Now you're connected with me. You can text me through that line. You can go watch the course, whatever, whatever you need to, but we'll get connected with you from there and uh, answer any questions you have. Cool. We'll be sure to link that up at uh, millionermindcast.com on uh, Zach's show notes as well. So uh, in case you are driving or you're doing something you know, right now where you can't uh, stop and pull your phone out, um, don't worry. We'll have that available to you guys. You know, as we uh, wrap up, Zach, first off, brother, I want to appreciate you, man. And um, you know, all the information, all the great stuff that you guys are sharing and you know, making accessible. Um, one of the things that I love is one, learning. Um, too, but hearing what other high level operators and you know managers of uh, you know 
high-performing real estate and uh, you know investment vehicles are are doing, and you know what you guys are giving people access to, um, you know, many years ago with just unless you were sitting in closed boardrooms or you had mm. access to some of these people, um, you know, it, it just wasn't available. And so yeah. obviously you guys are, you know, a bridge and a catalyst for helping investors create, you know, great, safe, sound returns. Um, as we wrap things up here, I just want to get your overall, maybe whether it's the company level or, or, or personal um, outlook on our current state of the economy, what you guys think, you know, things are moving towards. You've been close to some of the, you know, administrations that yeah. might be pulling some of these strings right now. And, um, you know, just curious on your thoughts of, you know, our economy as a whole, inflation and, you know, CPI, we've obviously <clears throat> got, um, you know, interest rates rising and, and, and different variables, you know, that are uh, at least, you know, in front of us in the windshield at the moment. What are yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, so I'll try to do this concisely, right? Because this could be a lot of different ways. Number one, I would say you need to remain on offense. I think a lot of times when people are fearful, they go on defense and they shrink up. Cut that out. You got to keep your head above water, stand tall, keep a good outlook, and know that there's opportunity in both up and down markets. Yep. So it's not about going on defense and trying to like play stall ball or anything like that. It's about going up and looking what's going to work in this time, right? I'll tell you. We've covered it in this thing, what my thesis is, right? I've liked some of these longer-term real estate assets, and I like cryptocurrency because I believe that in the longer run, we're going to see great returns there. So from, from a strategic position, that's pretty easy to see. That's where we're putting our time, effort, energy, money. Um, but um, to remain on offense, and then from there, just know that, I'll just tell you, I think we're going to have a lot of volatility. You mentioned you know, the CPI, in, inflation, everything like that. I think the numbers come out, what, next week, right? Yeah. It depends on when you're airing this, right? So yeah. Uh, yeah. whenever you're airing this. So for us, we're looking at numbers next week. So what's going to happen? So you know, I think if we see that in, inflation has hit 8.5 again, and they're going to say, okay, we're, we've got a little bit of control. Maybe it's gone down a little bit. That's going to be positive market sentiment. And we may see, you know, some people starting to, you know, get a little more optimistic. But then what's going to happen is right now they're in this kind of like swing of I have to manage it not to go too far this way and not to go too far this way, right, right or left, right. So what's what I think is probably most likely to happen is like over the next twelve months you're probably going to see a lot of volatility because people are hoping that they're going to, you know, uh, open things back up a little bit more and then. People are wanting to get excited, but then you're going to have other people that are pushing that it's going to go down and we're going to be in for volatility. Now, when I look at the markets, you're going to see, you know, I think the S&P is down like 12 and percent on the year right now. Yep. Um, I think that it's reasonable to assume that the stock market is going to be choppy because number one, the S&P is on an average multiple of 21x, I think right now, 21 times earnings, which is significantly higher than what's historically been. So your earn, your, your, your valuations are way higher than what they've been historically per the earnings, right? Which to me would demonstrate that they're overpriced. And if they're overpriced, they're likely to come back down, right? But I would tell you on the crypto side that we're actually underpriced now, but that doesn't mean that we won't be chopping crypto as well, because right now there's a broad general sentiment that crypto is kind of a risk asset. So when people are risk off, they're pulling money out of crypto and then we're gonna see that volatility as well. But over the next few years, I think whenever people begin to realize the differences in the market, you'll start to see a decoupling, you'll start to see the correlations dropping down, and then you'll be able to see the market in crypto doing something different than what the stock market's doing. But I do think that, I mean, we're probably you know 18 to 24 months away before you really start seeing some of that, just, just because general sentiment and education of that 
those markets needs to grow tremendously before we're, ev- we're before we're valuing it differently, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I would tell you, you know, you know, remain optimistic, remain on offense. Um, you know, you know where I'm putting money, so we don't have to cover that. And then, um, you know, continue to invest into things that you believe are going to, you know, do the right thing for you over the long haul. And uh, realize that regardless of if it's choppy and up and down, you know, we can remain on offense and uh, all come out on top. Yeah. Yeah. We're playing long, right? I think that's, right. that's, that's the one thing that I always try and just drill into every investor, even if you're yeah. in your fifties or sixties, right? Like play long. And, yeah. you know, if you do even small, you know, little steps in the, the right direction over a long period of time, those turn into really big strides and you look up and go, damn, I've actually covered a lot more ground than I expected. Right. But yeah. You know the small steps aren't sexy in the short term, but they become sexy in the long term. And so, love what you guys are doing. I love the fundamentals. Enjoyed the conversation today. And uh, guys, be sure to uh, go check out uh, Boron Capital. Um, go and check out the uh, masterclass that Zach's got available for you guys. We'll link all that up in the show notes. And Zach, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks, Matt. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info and how you can connect with us live in person, all kinds of great valuable tools you can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always want to know, who do you guys want to hear me interview next? Let me know. Shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friend.